from VinePairs New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jamal. And this is the VinePair Podcast. Whew, I'm feeling it today. <laughs> I mean, we are recording this pre. But what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was pretending like it was New Year's, that it was the day after New Year's, but you know, it's fine. It's not. We're recording early. I will say there is no better timing for New Year's Eve than on a Saturday. Uh, you get that double day off afterwards uh, for most people, badly needed. So for those <laughs> of you who are on day two of your New Year's Eve hangover, we feel you. We We're see there you. for you. We see you. <laughs> we see you. Fellow geriatric millennials, yep, we know. Yeah, we know. So that's I'm gonna, us. I'm going to propose something crazy, which is that because we're rolling right into this, let's just get into the predictions yeah. for 2023, uh, as opposed to talking about stuff we've drank, because we are recording this early so that we can all have a much-needed <laughs> break. Yeah. So uh, every year we try to do an episode like this at the very beginning of the year to sort of talk about the trends we're seeing and what we think is coming next. Um, it's always fun to do. We would love to hear what your predictions are as well. So hit us up at podcast.vinepair.com and let us know, uh, you know, what you see coming in 2023. Uh, but I'd like to kick it off to Zach first. Zach, what bold prediction do you have for 2023? <laughs> so this is appropriate uh, at the time we're recording it because our one of Vinepair's uh, star writers, Dave Infante, just dropped a piece about this absolutely bonkers lawsuit going on in the beer world. Yeah, it's uh, amazing. Which, like, I'll, we'll link to it in the in the show notes. But basically, Anheuser Busch and Constellation are like at war over Corona Hard Seltzer. There's a lot in the piece. I'm not going to recap this, but but the point is that we are potentially <laughs> looking at a situation where like a jury of randos is going to determine what the legal <laughs> definition of beer is, which you might think, uh, well, who cares? But actually, this has profound potential impacts on many industries, not just directly the beer industry, but of course, the F&B industry, which is largely succeeded because it's been considered beer from a sort of legal and tax standpoint. And there, since there is no legal definition for hard seltzer, it's like a category that p- consumers understand, but it's not separate a separate be- uh, beverage alcohol category according to the TTB, etc. This is like an absolute batshit thing. And again, read Dave's piece; he covers it um, in really good detail. But the point is, like, I almost no matter what the verdict is here, it's going to have pretty significant impacts on the drinks industry. I think if if the jury finds that essentially hard seltzer isn't beer, which would seem like a pretty reasonable thing for just the average person to conclude. Cause if you put <laughs> that in front of someone and said, ah, here, I got you a beer and it's a like papaya guava hard seltzer, they're going to be like, um, excuse <laughs> me. So th- totally within the realm of possibility that a, a jury could find that, you know, in fact, hard seltzer is not beer. Um, what that does, what, I mean, obviously there's potentials for appeals stuff down the road, but like, I can't wait. And uh, it's going to be bonkers. It's one of the things I'm sort of weirdly most excited about about this year, which, you know, maybe says some things about me. So I don't know. That 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 was the first one that sprung to mind. I think that's a good one. Speaking of Dave and beer, I think something else we'll continue to see because we've started seeing this already in 2022 is more diversification in the brewing space Yeah, um, coming out of beer companies specifically, but for these bigger brands, um, pivoting away from being breweries or beer companies and becoming beverage companies. Um, we'll see more hard seltzers, hard lemonades hard teas, hard, you name it, um, from these brands as we kind of see beers share shrinking a little bit. 
yeah. or continue to shrink, I suppose. But I think that that's super interesting and something we'll be watching in 2023. Absolutely. I think another thing that's going to continue to happen in 2023 is the rise of spirits in general. Yeah. Um, I think it's just, it's going to continue to be the category that dominates the way that people consume and I think that has a lot to do with pricing, yep. with what people think is things they can understand. You know, I think that, it's like the best value for somehow. Yeah. And what, we, and what we've talked about for, you know, years and years and years is that wine has continued to refuse to adapt. Mm-hmm. It has continued to refuse to talk to a younger generation, to, you know, be out in front with a younger generation and they've kind of decided to say fuck off you know like basically the spirits industry is willing to talk to us is willing to throw events with us is willing to be seen at the publications that we read and be at the restaurants that we are and then it's much more accessible both via price and what we can understand and wine just has continued to not do that i think you're some of the bigger wine companies realize that and go hard into spirits mm-hmm. i've you know how many even importers mm-hmm. and distributors i've heard from who say that they're that they, you know they used to be only wine focused that are now like launching spirits portfolios that's not out of coincidence they're also nervous right yeah. they're they're going to get squeezed and i think it's just going to continue to happen and you know the only way that this changes for wine is if wine finally starts embracing and saying you know what like we do need to leave this older generation behind they're fine like they're going to continue to be okay with us. Like it's cool if we move our resources down and try to finally talk to some Gen X millennials and Gen Z, mm-hmm. like because we really need to. And I also think that like wine is going to have to finally admit that like the formats that in which it sells its products don't work for the general consumer. Yeah. I think as consumers are continuing to be mindful with what they drink, they recognize that they can buy a really nice bottle of bourbon and drink it over multiple nights. And as much as, you know, wine heralded the creation of Corvin, they never really helped grow Corvin in a way with consumers. Like they all heralded it for, for popping really expensive bottles because that's how they wanted to use it. But they never actually saw the utility in it allowing consumers like to everyday drink drinking. a $25 bottle over the course of multiple nights. I think at this point, like, Corbin's kind of a failure. Like it, it's, it never has gained any real traction with the general consumer, and I don't think it will anytime soon. But I think that the that the wine industry could start experimenting with half bottles more, mm-hmm. especially fine wines. I recognize that these are expensive. Like people, you know, a lot of wine producers are like, actually, half bottles are more expensive than full bottles. But I do think that like that is how the consumer wants to drink. Yep. They want to be able to open that bottle and have that one or two glasses or split that. That is why we're seeing what we're seeing. And, you know, the idea for most consumers is that they're going to come home and open a bottle of wine and not be able to consume it over the the, enti- the entire – sorry, not be able to consume the entire bottle of wine that night because they want to drink mindfully is becoming a real thing. And it's when I ask people why they don't drink as much wine anymore it's one of the first things i hear is because i don't want to finish a bottle of wine and i'm not sure and i don't know how to preserve it or i don't feel confident in preserving it and so they're just not doing it and i think that's going to continue to grow in 2023 i was going to say i think the big opportunity here and we we've started seeing it as well is in like you said these different formats and in boxed wine specifically but i feel like the boxed wine when the when the product and the liquid itself is very good, is appealing to these younger generation, yes. a, a younger generation. Um, so I do hope we see more of that I, for wine's sake, um, and that instead of just nice labels, we do continue to see good, good wine. I mean, it's interesting. In- 
when we pull our staff, right? And yep. some of the box wines that come in that are now higher end, they, they recognize the wine that's inside that's better. Yes. Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. And they recognize when it says, you know, it's from Provence and, you know, this rosé was made by this winemaker. They recognize that and yeah. they're they're much more open to it. I think, again, Tobles Creek is going to lead the way in 2023 with this, but I think this is going to be huge for them yeah. with putting their their higher end wines in boxes. And I think you're going to see a lot more. You sh- hopefully should see a lot more of it because, again, consumers, just because they want to drink a box wine doesn't mean they want the wine to be cheap and shitty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Zach wrote a great piece on this yeah. for us earlier this year. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the opportunity is there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's it comes back to that exact point that we've been making about the ease of having a bottle of spirits at home that you enjoy, that you can go to at any moment. That is something that even a half bottle of wine can't really give you, like the the flexibility of a box of wine, yeah. whether it's, you know, whatever, whatever is in it, whatever the, uh, you know, whether it's white, red, pink, orange, whatever, probably not sparkling, haven't quite gotten there yet. But in a way that the flexibility, the long lived nature of these wines, if wine companies were, I think, savvy, and I know some of them are, they would invest that money that Adam was talking about moving around from, you know, focusing on heavy glass bottles aimed at boomers and stuff to, Really being like, we're going to put really good wine in these boxes. We're going to do what we can to keep the price, you know, sort of manageable. But we're also going to make spend a lot of money reminding you that a three liter box of wine is like four bottles of wine. So yeah, it might cost you $60, $70 for a box of wine, but you're getting four bottles of wine worth of liquid in there. And, you know, it fits in your small apartment. It's easy to store. It doesn't go bad quickly. Like there are a lot of really, really compelling arguments to be made for the format. And it just, as it's, as we said, it takes consumers, but it also takes people in the industry, um, you know, at a scale, again, you know, I wrote about Tablas Creek. I'm really glad that they took the steps they've taken, certainly for a very, very well-known winery like them with a, you know, incredibly sterling reputation for quality has seen the light on this. That's great. And they can, you know, shift opinion within the industry, I think, yeah, quickly. Yeah, lead the way. Yeah. But you need, you need financial might that goes beyond a family-owned winery and uh, a commitment to not just putting the product in in you know in the format, but also really supporting it with advertising and frankly supporting it in the channels where it's going to matter in grocery stores, right? Making sure that there is some way to differentiate a expensive or relatively expensive, high quality boxed wine from the things that currently dominate the market. Which is to say, both are fine. There's nothing wrong per se with a twenty dollar box of wine, but it is not going to generally appeal to the same consumer. And that was a piece of all this conversation around box wine that I think is important to say is like, you're trying to capture a consumer who does not currently buy boxed wine, not just get people who buy boxed wine to triple their outlay for a box of wine. Right. Right. You're the going, perception needs to change. Yeah, exactly. You're going after the consumer that's buying premium bourbon and, you know, premium uh, tequila yeah. and you want them to consider you in the same set when they have a nice glass of wine at the end of the day and they're they're going to do that with a box they're mm-hmm. not going to do that with an expensive heavy bottle because then they think the bottle is going to go bad and they're going to dump it yeah. and they're not going to buy it again yeah what else you got zach so another thing that we talked about on the podcast relatively recently but i think is again going to be a huge part of the conversation in 2023 is we have this looming specter of uh, required nutritional fact slash ingredient yeah. labeling coming to beverage alcohol. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I'm not going to go deep into this because we covered it in, I think, a, a really comprehensive way on the podcast in the last couple of months when the notice from the TTB came out. But 
if you don't think this is going to have a big impact on the drink space in 2023, I think you have not been paying attention. We don't know what the TTB's guidelines are going to be yet. We will, again, come back to this when they release them and we have more that we can say definitively. But again, this is going to be a big story in drinks because it's it hasn't been prior. I mean, a part of the the success for certain drinks brands has been the, you know, hey, we're putting our calorie counts right on the on the package, right? And and certain uh drinks, you know, seltzers, some light beers, etc., have really leaned into the low-ish calorie counts. But the law the massive effects on the entire industry that will come from presumably some kind of required labeling, at least for large-scale brands and production, if not every single bottle, can, bag, whatever of of beverage alcohol that's sold in the country. It's going to be massive. And again, it's hard at this point to see exactly what direction that's going to go because we don't have the guidelines. So I wish I could make a more definitive prediction. Getting inside the head of the people at the TTB is impossible. I'm not going to try. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think it is very important to remind our listeners that this is a change that you will likely see by the end of 2023 on store shelves in some capacity. Um, and so, you know, be on the lookout. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay, I've got maybe it's like a micro trend. Cool. It's just something I've been mulling over okay. and talking to everyone about. The Pisco Sour, like Pisco and Pisco Sour, I think is going to be, it's going to have a moment Interesting. in 2023 because I'm seeing it on menus already and some really fancy ones like Veronica, the bar in New York City has multiple Pisco Sours on its menu already. And I think... I think we have this a like interest in cocktails from people that will make them more open-minded to a drink like this. And then also this turn or willingness to have more decadent drinks that we've seen with like the espresso martini and other and the piña colada and things like that. So I think the egg white based part of the pisco sour also, you know, they'll be more willing to try it and it will proliferate. I think that's true. I think there will be more Pisco Sour, especially in in certain cities. Yeah. I may not go national, but I think definitely in certain cities for sure. I'm calling it. I'm calling it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the visual appeal of the drink is just like the espresso martini is so central to its, uh, I think it's trendiness, I guess. I mean, I, but I do wonder, and I guess we'll maybe revisit when we get to the end of 2023, I wonder if it will be localized to the Pisco Sour or if egg white drinks writ large will have their moment again. Because there was definitely a period, maybe a decade ago, where they were big. Um, that was a thing not so much because of... freaked out. <laughs> yeah, I think it was not so much for social media reasons. I think it was like a just the novelty of it, relative novelty. Obviously, the drink recipes have been around for a while, but they were totally out of cocktail culture for a long time because they're difficult and you know laborious and frankly kind of weird to a lot of people but i do think that their ability to sort of be so vivid especially in pictures and and to some extent in video is you know definitely a point in their favor yeah and i think you can also make them you know vegan with aquafaba or whatever other (sighs) developments people have come up with I have never gotten the aquafaba to to work. Let I me mean, I get into foam a little bit at home. I've tried, but like it just you, it's you just tastes like you're drinking hummus. It's hard to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're drinking hummus. I mean, uh, I never really. It's not a really hummus. I'm just saying. 
I've just never seen the appeal of aquafaba. I mean, I get it that it's vegan, but like, well, that that is the appeal. <laughs> that is yeah, the beginning. Like, of the end. There's a lot <laughs> of places that like do it now. It's like, oh, you know, I'm scared of eggs. Don't be scared of eggs. <laughs> um, eggs are our friend. So, I think one of the this is maybe probably a micro trend too, but mm-hmm. I think what, it, when we start thinking about the things that happen around certain times of year, and I know it's because we're close to the holidays from this year, but like, I do think that. There's going to be like a coquito boom. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you're seeing that with like what happens in food where this past year, like everyone all of a sudden embraced the panettone. Like, cool. That's great. <laughs> like, it's the year. Uh, because eggnog is, for people who like it, delicious. Uh, but there's a lot of other opportunities out there for these other sort of international drinks that also around the holidays. And um, I think Puerto Rico being so ingrained in America as well. So many Puerto Ricans living in the U.S. I mean, Puerto Rico is an American mm-hmm. you know, territory after all. I, I think it's going to be more and more and more. And it's a fun drink that I think people are going to embrace because it's similar yet different. Uh, I mean, come on, the panettone is basically fucking fruitcake, you know? <laughs> so, you just hate the panettone. <laughs> I mean, I just, I like it. I just... It's fine. It's dry bread, but I just feel like you know it's but it has weird raisins in it. Adam, what could you what could you not love? Yeah, it's weird. Like all of a sudden, everyone's like, "This is the greatest thing ever." It's like that's what's going to happen with the coquito. But that's actually good. Yeah, it's delicious. Rum milkshake. I talked about it last week. Uh, so yeah, so I, I think that's going to be big, and I think you're going to see other sort of you know seasonal things like that happen from around the world where we, we sort of start to embrace these other drinks i hope so you know i i i, I feel it you feel it i have a, <laughs> a trend that's kind of connected to this too which is a, again a continuation of something that we've been seeing over the last couple of years which is this sort of interesting middle finger to health consciousness that a certain part of the drinks industry or like the drinks trends are showing um yeah. where it's like i think we are seeing whether it's um you know these sort of wintry boozy you know, kind of milkshakey drinks to like things, or you know, things like a mudslide, et cetera. Like, I think there is this deep longing for, there's this longing is where I put it. There's always a countervailing force. And as I, as we're talking about with ingredient labeling earlier, at the same time as you're getting sort of this inundation of a certain kind of branding and marketing towards locale, low carb, et cetera. I think there's also a lot of people who, especially when they're out, you know, Part of, I think, the success of the espresso martini is the visual appeal, and part of it is, like, it feels like you're being a little bit bad, right? Like, mm-hmm. it is not – it's a little sweet. It's definitely – I mean, it's got espresso in it, so whatever your feelings about that at night are. You know, it's boozy, and it's, like, an indulgent drink. And I do think that we are, you know, in this period of time where people are – for whether it was, you know, kind of looking to indulge because life during COVID was pretty bleak for some people to just – life is – pretty bleak for some people won't really go there i do think you're going to see a continued popularity on this sort of opposite side of the spectrum from the health conscious drinks and i think those will also continue to be popular i think there are and people might wildly oscillate between the two in some cases but that like i do think that a, a place where you know cocktail bars and restaurants can again distinguish themselves just like something like a pisco sour it can be a sort of decadent indulgent drink that people might not make at home for a variety of reasons like maybe you know even if people have bulked out their home bars do they have creme de menthe at home i hope not yeah um that's kind of where i think we're gonna see whether it's sort of rich and boozy and sweet or just kind of fruity and sweet or who knows what i think these sort of 
drinks that basically give a middle finger to calorie counts are going to continue to be popular because part of what people want when they drink and when they go out to drink is that sense of escapism and indulgence. And I think people are realizing that. Oh, yeah. I mean, we see it with bourbon and we see it with every other spirit trying to evoke bourbon as well. And we see it with our pastry stouts and the like. Yep, I agree. What else you got? I don't know. There's like so many here to think about like what could happen or what couldn't happen for the rest of 2023. I mean, one of the ones I feel like it it keeps being cocktails because cocktails move in. in, They just move in trends more. Yeah. Yeah. Is I think we will see a lot like the spritz continue to be a very popular drink, but not with Aperol. Hmm. So I think there's going to there's going to be alt spritzes, alt spritzes. Mm-hmm. lots of alt spritzes. So Campari spritz, more Amaro spritzes, more other brands that are out there to be that, that make delicious spritzes like this, you know, aperitif in New York called Limone. Like there's a bunch of these spritzes that I think will continue to be very popular. They, I think it's the spritz has the potential to become like really the official brunch cocktail, sort of supplanting the mimosa. I think you're going to see it a lot more. People like it. It's it's really fun to drink. There's lots of different flavor variations. I mean, let's be honest. Like the most has been kind of like blah forever. Like yeah. there's not, there's, it's not that interesting of a drink. It's orange juice and bubbly. Yeah. <laughs> and like the fact that you'll see more alt spritzes allows people to drink spritzes that are based on their own flavor profile, like what they like, more bitter, uh, more herbal, more lemon flavored, more citrus flavored. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's definitely going to be uh, a big thing in 2023. Yeah. Anything else? Let's see here. I, I think, <laughs> well, I was Zach's reading, I have, I have sort of one more, I have, I have two more. I have one serious one and one slightly less serious one. So let's go with this slightly with the serious one here, which is that I do think that we are going to continue to see weird, random disruptions, uh, whether you would consider them sort of supply chain issues or things connected to you know, continue global instability. Like, I think that th- I don't know what it's going to be, but I feel like we're going to have like three times in 2023 where it's going to be like, oh, suddenly, like, uh, no one can find cardboard boxes or I don't know, whatever the thing is. Right. And like, we do just seem to be in this period of time where whether it's again, kind of continuing ripple effects from uh, COVID related uh, shortages to again, aforementioned global instability to who knows what that we're going to get one or two or three of these, like, again, sort of random things like carbon dioxide has been an issue for beer, possibly. It's like very strange. You would think one thing in this world we would not be short of was CO2, but apparently we are uh, hard to believe. But uh, I won't have a more specific one. I am not a logistics person. Uh, My like brain starts to melt when I try to read about how modern day logistics works. But the sort of era of just in time shipping and all that kind of stuff is very fraught for disruption. And because we don't have the ability to completely rebuild the global uh, infrastructure around trade and shipping. It's going to continue to be jittery and weird and hard to predict, which is maybe not a bold prediction, but is a prediction nonetheless. Yeah. I have one for beer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think we're, obviously we have over 9,000 craft brewery, yeah. like breweries in the United States at this point. I'm sure that number will continue to grow, but I think what we're going to see less of is this idea that this expansion Right. I think they're going to open and I think they're going to stay small. They're not going to try to open, you know, across the in in the region or across the country, like locations across the country. I think they're just going to, you know, breweries are going to open and they're going to stay local 
and uh, they're just going to, you know, deepen their local footprint instead of looking for these opportunities to expand, which are quite small at this point. You know, this is something we've talked about and something we've explored in different pieces on the site. Um, It just, it doesn't seem like there's a business opportunity for that kind of expansion in craft brewing anymore. Yep. I agree. So my, uh, my last word prediction is wine related. And I think that we're going to see two things happen this year. One is I think we're going to see the larger wine companies continue to shed their uh, very low-end brands. And I think we are going to also see the emergence of more Beaujolais-esque grapes that aren't Beaujolais becoming very popular. Mm-hmm. I'm already starting to see like Pelaverga and Schiava and things like that on Zweigelt. Zweigelt. It's, it's going to be it's, again <laughs> big year for Zweigelt. Everyone's looking for this <laughs> this high acid, you know, fruit forward red wine Easy that that, yeah, that Beaujolais provided. And and oh, just so everyone knows, clean y'all, mm-hmm. clean. Because I think the way that we replace... What's happening to Beaujolais? It's getting too expensive, right? Mm. So I think the issue here is that Beaujolais was that clean wine. And then like a lot of people were like, oh, we know how we'll replicate this. And we we had this bad uh, sort of trend for the last few months, for the last few years, sorry, where like the way that you replicated it was you made natty carbonic versions of like Zinfandel and shit that actually aren't good. Juice. Right? They Mm -hmm. were just like these juice bombs, glue glue. And I think what people are trying to realize is, oh, wait, there's actually all these other grapes around the world that actually do this as well without having to manipulate them Mm -hmm. or without having to make, you know, to infect Brett with them to make them, you know, light and fruity and fun. And so I think that we're going to see a lot more of that where people, where importers and restaurant lists, et cetera, are looking for these wines because this is what clearly people want to drink. We're still moving away from lots of oak and the bigger, bolder wines, again, because people are eating differently, they're drinking differently. So I think it's going to be a big trend in 2023. Uh, Like I said, I'm already seeing it a lot on lists here in the city, and I think it's just going to be bigger and bigger. Yeah. Makes sense. My last prediction is just I predict that uh, the three of us will have a drink together in person in 2023. (laughs) I certainly hope it comes true. Didn't happen in 2022. but Yeah, maybe at the Vine Pair Bar, Zach. Yeah, I would love Uh, to. And, uh, and yeah, shoot, shoot us a note, like I said at the beginning of the, the podcast. Give us your predictions. Podcast at vinepair.com. Want to yes. hear what you think is going to happen in 2023. Yeah, we'll it's share fun them. to sort of if like think good. about it. We, yeah, we'll share yes. them. We'll share them. So hit us up, podcast at vinepair.com. And Zach and Joanna, talk to you on Friday. Have a good week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So... The Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington, in Zach Chabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. 
It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire VinePair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.